Welcome, everybody. It's 2020, which means we are in our houses and we're not out and about and we're not gathering together, but that's okay because church is still happening. Church is here. Uh, we are all gathered together in one spirit because we all love Jesus. Jesus loves us. Jesus has called us to worship him in spirit and truth. And uh, this week, uh, you know, we've been stuck in the house, so we've just been abiding in Jesus, just waiting upon him and spending time worshiping him and reading his word. And uh, so I'm very excited to share with you some of the um, get into it, get into the word of God and just uh, all of us are in our homes. So we're just going to lift our attention to Jesus. Uh, he wants to come right into our house right now, right wherever you are. I am sitting in a bathtub um, because the lighting was better in here and than other places in the house. And my kids and my wife are all in the living room right over there um, watching on the TV. Uh, so this is happening. This is happening, um, and uh, I actually think it's pretty awesome uh, to to just imagine Jesus coming into our house, having a meeting with us. So we're going to look into his word right now, and uh, so if you guys would pray with me. Jesus, we um, need you. We need your spirit. We need you to speak to us because we are your children. Uh, Lord, we are in all these crazy situations, and, and all this stuff is happening in the world and so, Lord, I pray that you would uh, fill us with your spirit, that you would speak to us very clearly, uh, because we need your voice. We need to hear something from you today. And I really believe that the message you've given uh, me uh, to share with, with the people today, Lord, is directly from your spirit. And I don't say that um, uh, with pride, but Lord, with confidence, knowing that you would speak to a, 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 a donkey uh, to get a message to your people, you would speak even to me. And so I, I'm just very excited um, to to look to you at your sufficiency today. Uh, Lord, I pray for everyone who's watching, from little kids to uh, the elderly and all the people in between, Lord, that, that every single one of us would fully surrender our lives to your control, that we would give you everything that we would be um, laid open and bare before you. You can see our hearts. You can see what we meditate on. You can see what we think about. You can see what we do. And yet you still love us deeply. You will never stop pursuing us or coming after us. And so Jesus, uh, please speak to us now. Uh, I thank you for everything going on in the world. I thank you that you are in control. I thank you, God, that you have um, blessed us and, and that, Lord, we can turn around and, and freely give our, our, our money and our possessions and our lives uh, for those in our community and love them. Uh, and so, Lord, I pray you'd lead all the, uh, the thoughts we have. You would give us direction uh, about how we can reach out to the hospitals and the people in need in our communities. And we ask you to provide. Lord, we need you. Uh, there's many people that have lost their jobs. And, and we need you to provide. Uh, we need you. We are your children. We represent you in this world as ambassadors, and we pray that you would please uh, uh, strengthen us during this time where we are um, in our homes and practicing that social distancing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, we're going to continue on in our study through the book of Mark. In the book of Mark, uh, we have been journeying verse by verse by verse, and uh, we are all the way up through chapter 8 now. And so we're going to be in chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. 
and we're going to be looking at the, the feeding of the 4,000. And uh, so this today's sermon is called uh, God Doesn't Need Your Solutions. Um, so I'm confused. I get contradictory messages, contradicting messages. I get this message, never give up, never surrender, keep trying, never stop trying. You only fail when you stop trying. I'm going to call that message that I received, that's the first one, I'm going to call that worldly perseverance. I call it worldly perseverance because in that message, you don't need God. You don't need him. You just need you, your efforts. You got to find it inside you. You got to dig deeper. You got to work harder. You got to be better. And that message is all self-sourced, flesh-sourced, we could say. And, uh, but the Bible says clearly the flesh can never please God. So you, I got a problem with that message. So this message is false. Now, if your goal is to do your best and trust your best will be good enough for a perfect, righteous, and holy God, then I guess this is all you have, this first message of worldly perseverance. But here's a little secret. It will never work. It's not what God, God excuse me, has called you to. But wait, it's demanded in the law that I be perfect, right? Wrong. It's commanded in the law. No, I'm sorry. I messed that up. Let me start over. It's demanded in the law that I try my best, right? Wrong. It's commanded in the law that you be perfect as he is perfect. God never commanded you to try your best. He says, be perfect or go home. That's it. And that's why Jesus came to give us a new way, a different way besides the law to, uh, to have a relationship with God, to please God. A new way besides trying your best, knowing that you're always going to fall short. This new way is called faith in Christ. Trusting Jesus instead of myself. Trusting his works to please God instead of my own Trusting his power to lead and transform me and not my own. Trust. Trust is the opposite message of try. It's the opposite message. You got try hard, worldly perseverance on this side. You have trust on this side. Trust in his faithfulness. His, and the thing is, Jesus makes this amazing promise that Whoever would trust him would be forgiven of their sins and be transformed in this life and empowered to live the life that we were created to live, that the law said we were supposed to live. Jesus promises he will give that to us through faith in him. But we get these contradicting messages. Try harder. Trust Jesus. Try harder. 
trust Jesus, which one are we going to choose? Well, to be clear, we all start out in the try harder camp every morning, probably. And certainly when we begin our walk with Jesus, we always are in this try harder camp. But Jesus, through his word and his spirit, is able to train us to walk in the trust Jesus way, to hear the new message of the gospel, which says, it's not about what you do, it's about what I did, it's completed, and I'm asking you to trust me. I'm really excited to see this play out in our text today and what we're going to be studying. And I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in your life as your pastor. If you were part of our church, I know that so many of you have been going through this transformation of learning to trust Jesus instead of trust in ourselves. Today, we're going to learn about this radical change that happens when we go from trying to trusting, from work to worship. We'll see how this works, okay? So we go from trusting, trying to find my own solutions, trying to find my own solutions, to trusting in His solution. Our solutions, whenever we try to come up with a solution to any problem, that they're always sourced from the flesh. What can I do? How many times have we thought that during this global pandemic? What can I do? We have to be so careful because that is generally sourced from the flesh. But his solution is always sourced in God. What will my father do? What has Jesus done or what will Jesus do? And what can the spirit do in me and through me? It's a very vital difference than what can I do or what can God do? Our solution generally involves work or stress or sin. Whereas his solution generally involves rest and faith and being satisfied. Sometimes there's work, a lot of times there's work, and we should serve the Lord through this power that the Spirit is supplying. So, let us consider God doesn't need your solutions. So today we're going to study the feeding of the 4,000 people. Uh, this is the second time that Jesus has fed a large group of people with a small amount of food. You'll probably remember if you've been going with us through the book of Mark that, um, let's see, I just want to see this, that uh, it was just a chapter and a half ago that Jesus fed 5,000 men, so that means it was maybe possibly up to 20,000 people in another episode, and we're going to kind of contrast these today. And it's strange that Mark would uh, record two separate times where Jesus did this which makes some people actually doubt that there was two times, which is strange. Uh, but first of all, Jesus tells us he did it twice. That's in the book of Luke. 
Second, there's major differences between these two events that, uh, that we're going to look at right now. So right now we are going to contrast these two. So I'm just going to throw up, cover my ugly face with these, uh, this little chart here that shows the difference between the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. You can see the main differences is the, the number of people, okay? You have uh, different amounts of food that were multiplied. You have the five loaves and two fish, and then the seven loaves and a few small fish. Uh, you have different lengths of time that, that the, the stories took place over. The first one was one day in the wilderness. The second was three days. The people hung out there. It was like a three-day long sermon. And I was thinking, maybe we should do that, just preach for three days. Uh, but I decided we'll just stick with our normal time here. Um, we have different locations, north of Galilee, southeast of Galilee. We have different leftovers, 12 baskets full. And then this, and in the one we're going to learn today, we get seven large baskets, which is really cool because it actually means large enough to fit a person inside of. Uh, different amount of prayers. And then here's a really big difference right there at the bottom. You see that? It says mostly Jews in the first feeding and then mostly Gentiles in the second feeding. And that's really key to understanding uh, some of what's going on here. But the real thing that we're going to zoom in on is uh, the disciples. And I believe uh, that there is an area of growth in their lives, in their faith, uh, that's really important for us to see. Um, and to accomplish this, to, to contrast these two, we're going to have to kind of go back and remember what was said before. So I'm going to read to you uh, Matthew chapter 6, and then we'll go back to, to chapter 8. So chapter 6, verse 33 through 40, uh, well, well, we'll see how far we get, but starting in verse 33. The multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran on foot from there to all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him, and Jesus... When he was come out, he saw this great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Now, here's important. When the day was far spent, look, his disciples came to him and said, send them away. This is a, a deserted place. The hour is already late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread. For they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread to give them something to eat? And then it goes on and he... he uh, he takes what they have, he prays for it, he blesses for it, and he, he uh, miraculously multiplies. So, so just to recap, Jesus was, was doing his thing here. Uh, he's loving on this large group of Jewish people. He's teaching them. He's healing. He's doing all his Jesus stuff, right? But the disciples recognize a problem that's happening. And they, they realize they have no supplies. Trouble's brewing. There is something, and so what do these disciples do? They spring into action. They develop a plan. They develop a plan. They come to Jesus, but not for teaching. 
not for instruction, not for direction. They come to Jesus with their own plan. Did you see that? They came straight to him and said, This is a deserted place and the hour is late, so send them away. Make them buy their own food. And they were probably expecting Jesus to commend them because they're concerned about the people and they've come up with a smart plan. But Jesus doesn't commend them. He corrects them. He rebukes them. He said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go buy a 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? See, their plan didn't take into account God's will and God's love. And so many times when we come up with a plan, we don't know those things either. We make a mistake. God did not want the people to pay for their own food. That was God's will. How would the disciples have known that? Well, they didn't come to draw near to Jesus to be taught his will. They didn't ask what Jesus' will was. They came with their own plan first. And so they didn't understand his will. God didn't, just didn't want the people to buy their own food. God uh, also wanted to spend more time eating a meal with them and loving on them. He just wanted to love on these people. He did not want them sent away. He wanted them to draw near. So his love and his will, the disciples' plan, just doesn't take into account. God was not limited by resources. And God does what he wants. Not what he's allowed to do by his resources. See, we're all gathering in homes across the, 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 the city right now, even across the country, all together. God does what he wants, and God wants to love you and pour his will out on you. He wants you to know his will, and he, he wants to, to do things for us. And we need to get out of the way and stop thinking we know the plan. Because when this whole thing happened and we were like, we can't meet together, instantly in my mind, I was like these disciples where I was like, I got to come up with a plan. What am I going to do? And Jesus gently but firmly told me, stop it. I don't need your plan. He eventually came up and gave us a, a good plan, but I wanted first to draw near to him and learn his heart. These disciples wanted to send the people away, and God wanted to draw them close. Maybe the enemy has even uh, put it in, in the minds of some churches that, well, we got to send our people away, but I believe God is going to use this time to draw us close. And that's the purpose of what we're doing. They wanted the people to pay their own money, and God wanted to bless them at no cost. What does that make you think of? Grace. Grace. The point of this is that the disciples had a self-sourced solution, and they brought that solution to Jesus. And Jesus called them out on it, said, that's not what's going to happen. I love you. I like the fact that you're creative, but please let me be the Lord, the Messiah, the leader, and you be my followers. 
So now, with that understanding, let's go to the second episode, The Feeding of the 4,000, and see how radically different it is. And this is so, this just blesses me so much. Um, th this is with all the Gentiles, and so we get to our text now, Matthew chapter 8. In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on, so already we're different, already. Look, the disciples, they're in the same desert as Jesus is. They're, they're seeing the same problems, but they did not bring a plan to Jesus. They waited, and G look, Jesus calls them to himself. And what does Jesus start doing? He starts telling them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. Three-day church, three-day sermon. And if I send them away hungry on, to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from, from afar, from a long ways away. So this time, Jesus first teaches his disciples. His disciples didn't rush to conclusions, to make a plan, spring into action, before sitting at his feet and hearing his heart. And the first thing he says is, I have compassion on these people. Jesus explains the situation. They could have easily seen the situation themselves, but they wait and for Jesus to give his opinion on the situation. And Jesus begins sharing his heart. I have compassion on these people. How amazing is that? If we wait upon God in our situations, he will share his heart with us. And that is more important than fixing the problems. Having Jesus' heart in communicated to you, implanted in you, through time with him, that is so vital, important in these days. When we rush, we are always doing it in the flesh. Self-sourced. But when we wait... We are transformed by his love and his compassion, and we're able to do his will. After Jesus had shared his knowledge of the situation, his heart and his will with his disciples, look at what happened. So the disciples answered him and said, How can one satisfy this people with bread here in the wilderness? Now this is actually very different than their response earlier. Their response earlier was uh, obviously came after their own plan, and they were, um, yes, we're in Mark, sorry. Uh, they, sorry, someone texted me, I shouldn't have looked at it. <laughs> They're different because the disciples before came up with their own plan, and then were almost mocking Jesus, saying, uh, what are we supposed to do? Go buy bread for these people? Here, they just say, we have no plans. We have no ability to meet these needs. So they're kind of throwing it back on Jesus, saying, what are you going to do? And that is the exact right way to go in Mark. These disciples have learned a great lesson. 
Just let Jesus supply the solution. All you have to do is trust him. Wait upon him. Serve him. They don't respond with a plan, but rather with an admission of their weakness. How could we do this, Jesus? We can't do this. And he says, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. You know, they they ask, how can one supply these people with bread here in the wilderness? They have no plans. Uh, There's no way anyone could do this here, Jesus. There's no solution here on earth. We can't do this. And this is what I think is so vital for us to understand today. We live in the wilderness like these disciples. Surrounded by thousands of empty and dry wells. If we, if we change the illustration to water, dry wells. Empty bread baskets. Some call these empty wells and, and, and all the, the ability. Some call them... Um, Psychology. Some are called entertainment. Some are called work. And none of these things are a solution to the problems that we really have. There's one source of living water. There's one source of bread. And that source is Jesus. So we need to call these things what they are. Inadequate. Unsatisfactory. Not filling. Not fulfilling. None of those things are the solution. Only Jesus is. But this is something they didn't learn overnight. They messed up last time, but they're becoming increasingly convinced in their heart that Jesus actually is the solution. He actually is everything that they will ever need. Maybe you're thinking, man, I wish I was there. I wish I really had that kind of faith. God knows that. And he will be everything you need, whether you believe it or not. He still is that. And he will gently train you and teach you that he is all that you need. And maybe this whole crisis that we're going through now, for you is for you to learn and to really trust and know in your heart that Jesus is the solution, that Jesus loves you, and that Jesus, his, he has a will for your life. So my question for you right now is, are you willing to do his will? Or are we going to stubbornly hang on to our own plans because we think they have a certain merit? We think they might work. When are we going to get convinced that only Jesus has the wisdom that we need? Only Jesus has the power that we need. Only Jesus has the solutions that we need. And look, they confess here that they, all they have is seven loaves, which is not enough. But their faith isn't in the loaves anymore. It's in the Lord. A seed of of hope and faith has been planted in them that Jesus can do more with less. 
He can do miracles. He can provide. He can supply. And it seems like they're actually learning to put their faith in him instead of in their own ideas and plans. So it it finishes up here. It says, So he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves. He gave thanks. He broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and, and they set it before the multitude. They also had a few small fish, and he, having blessed them, he set them also before them. And here we see that Jesus does indeed supply. He doesn't need a lot. He is more glorified when he has less to work with. Why do you think I'm a pastor? Because Jesus is more glorified. When his tools are broken and weak. Jesus shows everyone that his solution is far better than any solution I ever could have come up with. Men do love their solutions, don't they? Men have all kinds of solutions like psychology, like 12-step programs, like hard work like perseverance, like manipulation, like just be stronger than the situations. Don't let it beat you. Like medicine, we have all kinds of solutions. And not that any one of those solutions are evil in and of themselves. But when we put our trust in anything besides Jesus, we're missing out on the real solution. Jesus used the seven loaves but in a way that he was glorified. He can use hard work, but only in a way that he is glorified. Are we going to wait upon him first? Are we going to confess our brokenness and need first? Are we going to come to him with empty vessels first, waiting for him to fill us up? So they ate and were filled They took up seven large baskets of fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away immediately, got into a boat with his disciples, and and came to the region of uh, Dalmanutha. Jesus will truly satisfy anyone who trusts in him instead of self. The reason we have to know what we're putting our trust in is because the solution, the, the satisfaction at the end, is determined by what we put our trust in. If we put our trust in our own self-source solutions, no matter how good they are, we will not be spiritually satisfied. But if we put our trust in Jesus, no matter how weak we are, no matter how bad we are, Jesus will satisfy us and overly bless us. He, he says, just put your trust in me and you will find that I will pour out my love upon you. I will pour out blessings upon you because I truly am that good. You see, Jesus has a very simple way of dealing with self or flesh. And his way is death. There's no reforming our flesh, ourself. There's no teaching our flesh. There's no saving it. We're going to read Matthew 16, 24, which says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, 
take up his cross and follow me. That means you have to deny self, say no to self. But my self has good plans. Jesus says, sorry, say no. Deny it. But there's got to be some good in it. Jesus says, no, there's not. Yourself is completely corrupted. Your flesh has no good thing in it. Read Romans chapter 7 for more information on that. He says, not only do you have to say no to self, you have to say death to self. That's the only solution. Every time yourself says, I got a plan, I got to do this, I gotta, you got to say, no, I'm not going to do that. And death to that idea. I will not. No, that goes to the cross and is crucified. We deny ourselves. We kill our selfish trust. That's Jesus' way. He says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, this is the way. No other way. Trust me. That's it. Do not trust in yourself. The disciples seem to have begun to learn that lesson. And that's why I think we have two stories of feeding uh, people. We can see how alive our flesh is whenever we're, we get in a tough situation. Do we try to figure out our own solution or do we deny self? Reject any hope of figuring out our own and go straight to the Lord. Bow our knees and pray. Say, Lord, I don't know. What do you want me to do? I got ideas of what I could do, but what do you want me to do? Open the word and let him speak. Let him teach and he will. Do we draw near to God, waiting upon him, receiving his heart through this communion with him? Man, it's so good. I have gotten to the point where I weirdly love crisis because for me I feel alive when I come into his presence and say I'm weak I don't know what to do but Jesus starts speaking to me start telling me your heart and a lot of times I don't come out with a, a new plan but I come out with a new confidence that wherever I go and whatever I do I'm going to go with Christ, with Jesus, that he is with me and he will give me the words to say. He will give me the thoughts I need to think. He will give me the heart to love in whatever situation I'm in. Our flesh is really convinced that it can deal with most things without God. We are really convinced that we can deal with most situations without God. That's the... the carnal way of living the walking after the flesh but over time i pray that we are convinced that we can really do nothing without him just like john 15 5 says i am the vine and you are the branches he who abides in me and i in him bears much fruit for without me you can do nothing nothing so why do we worry about fixing our own stuff? We can't. We can't fix our own sin. We can't fix our own solution, our, our own nation. We can't fix this virus. We can't fix poverty. We can't fix the church. We can't fix the world. But God can. And Jesus knows how. And Jesus offers, you can be a part of my solution. But that only happens through abiding, which is 
a real relationship with me where I do the work, you do the resting, the waiting. You spend time with me and you draw near to me and become my disciples. We need to draw near to Jesus. We need to learn his heart. We need to gain his compassion and receive his calling. And then we will be supernaturally enabled to satisfy this world in what they're going through. It's not what am I going to do, but what is God going to do? And um, that's how we learn to trust him. So that's our time in the word today. I pray that you've been blessed and encouraged to seek Jesus. Um, Let's see, I'm going to throw up our contact information. Please share this video. If you were blessed, please like it. And please get in contact with us, chat with us, email us, call us. Uh, we are here to serve you and to uh, approach God's throne and, and see him supply everything that we need through his wonderful grace during these times. We love you. And uh, don't be a stranger. Stay in touch. Give us a call. Bye now.